0: And children, if you can listen a little bit, you'll hear some things that you might enjoy. Children are beautiful. Children are beautiful. We had no children for five years, four of which we tried hard to have children. We believed we would be in the childless couples group in the ministry there were three or four group people, three or four couples that way. So what did we do? We looked at other people, how they treated their children. We watched them. We observed them. We cared about those kids. We sometimes in our church area, we would take some of the younger people with us. It's kind of like, well, can we have them for a week and try The be, we were fairly close to as far as brethren, but we took two girls with us one time. I think they were ten and eight, and they were like our daughters they stayed. We were doing a tour in Canada. And they we took them with us, and they were there from Pennsylvania, we took them with us. So we loved we watched them, we observed them, watched how people treated them and how maybe they mistreated them. Because I thought we'll never have children, but let's see how people do it. And then of course, Mr Armstrong anointed us in January of 1968, at a conference. He said, oh, How are you doing? You did our wedding. I see You'd have no children. No, we haven't had, we haven't we've been trying to have children. Why don't you come over to my house, you and Barb, and I'll anoint you? So we went over. He kneeled down in his living room, anointed both Barb and me. In February, my wife conceived. And by November, we had our daughter, Jan, we called her God's gracious gift. And then 15 months later, we had our daughter, Susan, which was totally unexpected because old wives tell, you know, you can't get pregnant when you're nursing. (laughs) Don't. Play the rhythm method. Because <laughs> you end up singing. rock a your baby. With a L- Dixie melody. <laughs> so we knew. Once we had two. Then my wife had an RH factor. We decided not to have any more children. Two girls. 15 months apart. And we loved them. And they love us to this day. They're both in the church. And we're very proud of them. And pleased with them. God was with Jesus Christ, please. So we've we've watched them. There's something special about little babies and little children that melt people's hearts. And so when I think of children, I think of how they look you in the eye, how they're so fresh faced, how they're so open, how they're so blunt at (laughs) times. Oh, they can learn you take a little child and you've to teach them to talk all week long. And then you bring them to church and they try to talk. You shush them up. Okay. Shh, don't tell that. Don't, don't talk. <laughs> well, why do you keep trying, trying to help me make me talk at, at home? So, children. Children are absolutely wonderful. And we can learn from them. And in fact, when the disciples had a dispute over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, how did Jesus Christ solve that? Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4. Let's read it. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4. It's from New King James. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him to set him in the midst of them. Now it's amazing this little child would come to someone that maybe didn't even know that well because that child also did not have to worry so much in those days about strangers. You have to look your kids in the street. Don't go there, to anybody. But back then Jesus could say, give me a little child. And a little child came to him. And he put him in the midst of, the, of them, his disciples. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, You will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. How important is is it for us to notice the awesome traits of young people, of children, of babies, of infants, of adolescents, of teenagers, that we can learn from them because it goes on to say, therefore, whosoever Humbles himself, which is the first point I'm going to come to in a moment. Humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So again, what did Jesus use? The little child. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, again, verses 13 to 15. Jesus Christ says this. Then little children were brought to him. And he might put his hands on them, and they were little enough for him to lift, by the way. The first blessing of children I had in Toronto, they'd never had blessing of children. Their first blessing of children I had. There were a lot of them, okay, and I was the only minister there. A lot of children to bless. Them. One of them was like an eight-year-old boy. He, would, he was very cantankerous. He wouldn't come, he'd cry when his mother run. sorry, we can't do that. I'll come do it at your home when you're ready. But literally Jesus took them up in his arms. That eight year old was a little bit hard to take up in my arms and he blessed them. But Jesus did that. He prayed, the disciples rebuked the people for wanting Him to do that. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them, verse 15. And then he left, laid his hands on them. Why? Because they were important to him. The son of God, whose job is to preach the gospel to the world, to go out and do his job, try to reach people of Israel and all peoples. What did he do? Took the little children. Children are beautiful, and we could learn a lot from them if we're willing to learn. So, what way may we also learn from children? And by the way, that count means an infant or a half-grown boy or girl. The one in Matthew eighteen, it's padiha, pahadion, pahadion is a Greek word. It's thirty-eight thirteen. If you want to check me. The- Same thing used in both areas as well as in Mark about reading. What may we learn from children? In fact, what must we learn from children if we're going to be in God's kingdom? First one is humility. Humility. Children live in a world of thighs and kneecaps. Children always have to look up to you smart person who's an adult will come down on his knees or hung on his haunches and meet them eye to eye to save them from having to crank, crank their necks. A little child is automatically humble. Automatically humble. Should we be humble? Yes. I'm going to read you a couple of comments. One, I, I love this. I did this, got these in just one quote each from this book called Children's Letters to God, and it's by Marshall and Hample, two people. Children's letter to God, and then you can see all the markings I've had in, from leaders. But only one, I'll just quote one, what a, what a child writes to God. So here's number one, humble. Dear God, I want to be, to get married, but no one will do it with me, <laughs> signed Dodie. She was humble. Nobody wanted her. I also have another quote from Ben Franklin. I think you'll like this one. Let me read it at the end of my scripture. I'll just give you one, one scripture on this and refer to another the scripture. I'll give you is First Kings chapter three and verse seven. Solomon, what did Solomon say? The wisest man who ever lived, riches untold quadrillionaire, whatever he was <laughs> back in those days. Here's what he said, First Kings 3, verse 7. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David. What did he say? But I am a little child. First Kings 3, verse 7. I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to do it. What's humility? Philippians two three, which I won't read. I'll just give it to you. It says, let nothing be done with selfish at through selfish selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. You see, humility was not known among the Gentiles. Humility was not known in the world before Christianity came. To be humble, to be meek, which is a choice to be humble, by the way. Most people were humble because they were humbled by others. Not humbled by choice. Christians choose to be humble. Christians choose to say you first. Christians choose to say, I'm not going to fight and fuss and demand. Oh, yes. You shouldn't just be a panty waste. You shouldn't just be milk toast and said that something's happening to you. And if I go to a hotel and things aren't, aren't good. I mean, I try to be kind about it and gentle, but I can tell them, excuse me. We called up here. Our phone doesn't work. We, you know, we're paying for this room and phone. Could you please send somebody up to help us? Thank you. I'm nice about it. Well, say, Oh, you're humble. Don't say anything about it. Just endure it. Why? I'm paying for service here. It's not a matter that I'm, I'm working on a taskmaster, under a taskmaster. So humility is a choice to be humble. The Roman world would, would never automatically by themselves be humble. People were humbled when they were sent to the dungeon, dungeon when they were taken and whipped. They weren't humbled by themselves. Barclay points that out in his daily Bible study series. Humility was not known, but Christians brought it into the world. What does he say, "Humble yourselves"? Humble yourselves. How do you humble yourself? Holding yourself back. You don't have to be first at everything. You have to take. I know my eyes automatically spot somebody passes around the baked potatoes. Here, why don't you have a baked potato? My eye automatically goes quickly, sifts through them and and my eye sees the biggest one. They're offering me to take whatever I I want, and then I have to say to myself, leave that for someone else. I was like, oh, I get it. Same same way with pies, three or four pies, pieces of pie, what does my eye do? (laughs) Who knows which one's the biggest, the most. And what do I have to say if I'm humble? Leave it for somebody else. Now, humility doesn't say you are you're you should always try to be mediocre. You should try to be the best you can be. But you don't get to be the best by climbing over somebody else and putting them down. You be the best you could be by developing you. And there's a time to step back. There's the time to restrain yourself, to pull the reins back say, whoa, dear. That's what we have to do. That's humility. I want to read you what Ben Franklin said. It's a wonderful quote. I've used it in a sermon I gave on Micah 6, uh, verse 8. What does God require of you? I'm gonna read it to you. Ben Franklin visited Cotton Mather. Cotton Mather lived in 1663 to 1728. I think this was somewhere in the early 1700s. Cotton Mather was an old, conservative, Puritan minister. They, both men loved books, and they visited Mather's library. Before they left, Mather said to Ben Franklin, I have a, another way out that's easier than having to wander through the house. Follow me. We took them through a tunnel, they were walking along, walking along and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, Cotton Mayer said, student, student, and Ben Franklin didn't know what he meant and boom, hit his head <laughs> on a low hanging up, you know, Wissing-Log area, and then they came out of the other end and person said, "Mather never lost an opportunity to be able to teach something. So he said, you are young and you have the world before you, stoop as you go through it and you will miss many hard thoughts, stoop, lower yourself, not all the time, somebody's a volunteer to do something and you can do it, false modesty, no, we're not talking about false modesty. Somebody asked me a question, and I can do it. I can, I can do the job again. I'm not, how fat, how long do you want me to take? How, how much time will you give me to do it? I'll do it fine. If you want me to do it, just look at a promise. I'll do it. a look at a promise to touch here and there, So I can ask for the parameters. If they want me to do a job. So it doesn't mean you don't volunteer for things. It doesn't mean you don't have to give other people a chance to. The only one I thought was me first. I've seen men struggle with something. <laughs> Nobody will offer to give them a glass of water. I sit and I watch Am I vain? No, I notice somebody has a problem and I try to fulfill it, but I don't jump right away because I give somebody else a chance to do it, but I don't wait long. So again. It's a, it's a good lesson as you go through life, stoop, stoop, stoop. Not, not literally, you have to stoop and walk in the room and get over. I did that too funny. Okay. So that's point number one, be like a little child, be humble, humble yourself. Humbling yourself is something really important to do. That means you're looking up at God. you deliberately looking up and how, why would it be impossible to humble ourselves in the sight of God who created everything? If you muse for a moment and say, how did he make that, how did he do that? You are shocked and amazed at God's design and how he made everything so right we get that. All right. Point number two. Point number two we can notice is that of openness. Children sometimes are blunt, sometimes they blurt it out, like, what's that pagan, <laughs> look at the beautiful pagan symbols, they're abominations, you know, Christmas tree, you know, like, what is that? And they'll, they'll say, my daughter would go to school and say, we you know, my granddaughter, Samantha, she said, look at that, look at that, what, what does a fat man dressed in red have to do with Christ, Jesus Christ? What does a chocolate covered bunny an Easter egg have to do with Jesus Christ. Sometimes they blurt that out to the fellows. So my daughter Susie, somebody was accusing her because they heard, what, 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 so what, what's your nationality? She said, well, my, my dad was Syrian. Oh, you hate the Jews. Are you? And, then, and then she said, well, my mom was German. They killed the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> German, Assyrian, German, Syrian, she hated them and killed them. (laughs) So she's a little girl, eight years old, nine years old. Uh, Oh, uh, (laughs) you, you're a Jew hater. You're an Arab. Oh, you're you're German. You killed the Jews? What do you do? She was open. She was blunt and children sometimes blur them out. Why they don't know any better we always warned our kids when we took them visiting with us now be careful don't say don't you say stuff the you know two you know, be good and sometimes you should be teaching teaching them to be good all the time we're going in here now be good well why don't you say be like you are all the time because they aren't always good okay you remind me so openness is something very good first samuel two, First samuel two and this is verses 11, 18, 21, 26. I'll read this from the Bible because we thought I'd get through that too fast. So I don't even have to. Samuel. Samuel was taken at three years old, or whatever age he was, finished weaning, nursing. And I do know of children, even in our my generation, whose mothers nursed them where the boy could walk up to the mother, unbutton her blouse, and nurse standing. So they have been three years old or so, but she dedicated Samuel. So he went and he goes with Eli. So Eli has him doing little things, empty the garbage or, or go take this candle in there so we can light it later or whatever. Whatever he did. And every year his mom bought him a different, a bigger, longer, longer coat, you know, so he had his little robe every year. But Samuel then was lying in bed and he heard a voice and he thought it was. Samuel, he thought it was Eli calling him, his high priest, and he ran in and said, here I am. And he said, what, what? I heard you call me. No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. You're Have a dream. We went back to bed. Then he heard again, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel went running into Eli said, you did call me this time. No, I didn't call you. Then after the third time he did it, then Eli said, listen, because it's of God. And God told him what's going to happen to Eli and his sons. And I'm going to choose you to take Eli's place. That father was older than three at this time. But not a lot older. Eight, ten, twelve years old. As a kid, he's humble enough to do the job. He told Eli what happened. But he was open and blunt. We need to be open to, in fact, the apostle Paul wrote in 2nd Corinthians. This is what I will read. This is an openness, like children are. O Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians 6, verses 11 to 13. I'm reading it out of the paraphrased version. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. We're open books. Yeah. What do I have to hide? If I've sinned, I tell God, I'm sorry. And he forgives me. What am I hiding? You don't have to hide. Children don't hide. They're open. Mom, can I have that? Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I... They're open, aren't they? Unless you don't let them be. What do we use to teach children? Children should not speak unless they're spoken to. Really? The son of God was 12 years old. He was sitting in a temple or in a meeting with doctors of the law and asking them questions. It didn't say he was answering them. He was asking them and answering them. The children need to be taught not to butt in, but if they have a question and raise their hand and say, Hey dad, can I say something? Yes. They can be open. They should be. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, he says, I speak as to children, you also be open. Open your heart and open yourself to us. So let us in. Christians need to be open. Need to be playing. They are be playing the game, or hiding, and figuring, what is the best word I could say. What's the greatest? How can I say this word or that word? So openness is very, very important. I'll read this from from the uh, children's letters to God. This is just a beautiful one too. Children's letters to God. Dear God, It's what a child writing now. Dear God, my father said kids is the best time in life. Tell me what. Tell him. To please tell him, what good is it if we never get to stay up and watch anything? (laughs) Very open, right? Very willing to share her heart and her feelings. Right? Let's look at Let's look at point number three. So be open. Be an open book. Don't be closed off. That doesn't mean you blab everything. That doesn't mean you have to tell everything about your life. That doesn't mean if you did something wrong, Two years ago, that you have to bring it up. No. If you to put it under the blood of Jesus Christ, it's gone. You're not sinners anymore, brethren. You sin. I sin. I'm not a sinner. Why? I was buried with Jesus Christ. He gave his life for me and he gave his life for you, and you died in that baptism. You know what died? Your old man. And who was the old man? The sinner. He didn't care. You care. When you sin, you've got the sacrifice of Jesus Christ through grace to cover you. You don't have to be a sinner. Do do people sin? Yes. What do I say a sinner is? One who practices sin. I don't practice sin. I practice righteousness. Sometimes I slip and stumble. And God forgives me and I sin. But I'm not a sinner. So you call me that. You are demeaning me and saying Gary, Auntie, and you really were not really baptized. Please know that. Don't put that on people. Yeah. I know some people do. Some don't like, they like to feel like they're sinners all the time. You're not a sinner. Unless you are practicing sin. You're practicing it. Yeah, you're a sinner. You're not practicing it. You slip and stumble from time to time. Maybe even in the same sin from time to time, you're trying to fight it. I remember Mr. Armstrong saying. God isn't finished with me yet because there are some things that I have not yet learned. I've not learned some things. God has given me time to learn that. Not finished with me yet. But would he say he's a sinner? Not unless he's practicing it. Number three. Number three. Children are simplistic and teachable. Children are so anxious to learn, they're like a sponge sopping up water, soaking up water. Are you? Are you like them? They're simplistic. They don't want you to give them some, some Einstein theory of relativity. They don't want you to display your physics learning to them. What, that takes this physical? You learn all these different physics uh, formulas that you use. What do they want? They want you to give them the plain truth, which we used to call our magazine. So again, simplicity, simplicity. First Peter 2. First Peter 2 and verse 2. Peter wrote this. As newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. As newborn babe. Does a newborn babe crave milk? Yeah. You know my daughter Jan, the designer Mike my, my wife. My daughter Jan, when she was born, was a big baby because my wife was overdue.
1: And my wife's milk, mother's milk, because she had had epilepsy. It was totally cured now, at least as far as...
0: From medication it keeps her from ever having a seizure, thank God. But and God evolved too, but this is a medication we take too. But when back in those days you weren't taking it, you'd have seizure from time to time and that drained her and maybe the quality of the milk wasn't as as strong as it ought to be. And my daughter Jen would cry and cry and cry. Finally we augmented it with, with other of go. My formula—that <laughs> no, was not a good thing. Either, but we did, and she would gulp down that bottle really fast <laughs> and be content. And when my kids were little, they had such a—I read, taught them about the Bible. They learned. I talked them about these stories in the Bible. And I'm going to give them a bath. I talk about Noah and the Ark. How sometimes we had some little animals, little. Like think they, they have plastic, they would have them in there with them, and I'd say, and you imagine put these animals on this little raft, and look, they stay safe, but all the other ones would drown, they'd say, Andrew. And they got to learn. Oh, oh, who is God? God is big. God is huge. God is big, bigger than you know, explain to the real giant. Have you explained to little kids? But so they soaked it up. They loved some of the people of the Bible. They loved Jacob and Esau's story. They loved Joseph's story. Help them to love the Bible. Teach them. And, and they'll soak it up like anything. But are we teaching it? Are we simplistic? Do we want something complicated? Give me the complicated stuff. Matthew 11, verse 25. Matthew 11, and verse 25, we read this. At that time, Jesus answered and said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and have revealed them to babes. That that Greek word there, re- revealed, is nepios. It's thirty-five, sixteen. It means children and infants, children." And infants and little children that sometimes grasp things that adults who are complicated can't. So what did Paul say he didn't in First Corinthians? He taught 112, he said it, he taught with simplicity. I'm not trying to impress you with I've only referred to the Greek because it gives the fullness of it. I'm not trying to impress you with Greek. Do you speak Greek? I don't speak Greek, but I did have a whole year of Greek ambassador. I'm a novice at it. But I do understand enough to be able to look into lexicons and get the meaning. Nepios. And it has to do with being like a child or even an infant not babies don't really understand them at least they're coming out of babyhood they so are we simplistic and teachable are we going to compl- complicate these things i do one minister all he did was complicate a simple matter then come back and uncomplicate it. Oh, that's marvelous what a great thing well, if he'd given them simplistic version to start with he wouldn't have had to do that <laughs> he took a simple subject complicated it. Then he came back and simplified it again. My job is not to complicate things. Why would I want to do it for you? So again, simplistic and teachable. Are you teaching? You say, show me God, show me thy ways O Lord. You ask him to teach you. Very important for us to ask God to teach us. Number four is forgiving and loving, forgiving and loving. I remember our daughter saying to me, I hate this girl. I, you, you shouldn't hate this girl. She's been your friend all this time. I hate her. I hate her. <laughs> you should not hate this girl. Next day they came back. I was playing with so-and-so. I thought you said you hated her. Well, that was yesterday. <laughs> I don't hate her now. <laughs> And you think this big giant of a man or mom takes a paddle and paddles that little child on the backside and by the way paddling doesn't always drive making a kid lovable you want your kids to be lovable spank them all the time you know what they learn hardness you know what they learn to punch people up when they get older you've got there are ways to discipline i'm not saying be a you know be uh Lackadaisical when it comes to training. We train our children. We teach them. Try to help them. If we have to impose a penalty, make them sit on the sofa for a while. Cool your heels. No, you're not going to watch TV. No, you don't get to play with your favorite toy here. Some people make it so comfortable. I'd like to go in the time out with those people. (laughs) Sit on the sofa. Here's your your favorite food. Here's your favorite toy. You go turn on the TV. Boy, that's a penalty Does they have to sit for a little while. That's the only thing you restrict their activity. You don't want to make them painful. You don't want always, you have to make it, make it the, the penalty fit the crime. Remember one little girl, she's about eight years old. She loved, she loved me afterwards because like I was a trainee in that area. And I watched And this little girl was reaching for something at the table. We were having breakfast with her folks. Because my, my wife and I went up over there and worked all day long. And he, the minister and his wife asked us to have breakfast. Well, okay. So we stayed there and the children were having breakfast, probably was late breakfast, because we were working already. So anyway, we sat down with them. A girl reached for something, accidentally knocked over her orange juice. Her dad took her, Upstairs, and I could hear thump, 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 irritating me inside because I have so many thumps. I've had many children, but thump Now, what would you do to a child if they stole, if they lied, broke one of the commandments, what would you do to them? in order to make that penalty more severe, you'd almost have to lash them with the whips or kill them. So again, make the penalty fit to crime. And, and, and we used to have, I mean, Gardner and Armstrong was trying to re- reverse what Dr. Zeus was saying, whatever it was, you know, there'd be so much liberality with children. But beating them all the time is not, doesn't make a lovable child. Has to fit the there are times when you have to spank, those should be limited to really important matters, serious infractions. We all grew up with that. I grew up with that. It was our child in booklet. You wanted to be a good minister, you spanked your kids. Some some ministers would, who adopted two kids, I remember, they would send their, they would give one of the deacons battle. So the mom didn't have to leave the church leave the marriage. If that child react, misbehaved, the deacon took him out and spanked him. Uh, that's not the way you do it. It's not the way you do it. The children can be spanked. You know what they do? A few hours later, a short time later, they come and they call up when you're rapping them up. Probably the most tender moment with our children was when they would climb on our lap, look me in the eye, in the face, say, "Dad, I love you." Not because I made them, it's because they did. To my wife too. I remember sitting on my dad's lap when I was a little boy. I remember looking at him, playing with his chin, he had a cleft chin, and I would always put push it together, it like a bare backside you know. <laughs> <my resume. laughs> you know a little on your chin and I would look at and I would stroke his face he smoked at that time so if, uh, later on my mother wanted him to smoke mom what are you doing killing your husband right away, she, she wanted so he did that so he could look cool for her but he would blow up a smoke ring and I would put my finger in. now I probably had a lot of congestion the years to come afterwards because I wanted to smoke he quit smoking afterwards on his own strength. He quit, but not before I was grown up in I remember him loving to be around you. And it's important. Little kids can melt well, your heart. They're loving, they're kind, and they're forgiving. First Corinthians 14 and verse 20, we read this. brethren. Do not be children, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, in deciding whether you want to do somebody harm or not, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. So we should be like children and not hold grudges and not try to punish other people. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20. Colossians, Paul wrote, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, that's to us. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do so. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. We have to be forgiving and loving too. I'll zoom through the next three. Number five, fifth grade is dreamers. Children are dreamers. One little boy would say, "My, I, my dad is buying me a maybe six years old. My dad is buying me a horse for my backyard." <laughs> oh, really? You put your horses. You live in a city. You put your horse. <laughs> yes. Hey, you have a horse. Do you destroy that kid's dream? It's a dream. It's a dream. It's a hope. But for them, it's like reality. They think about beautiful things. They can dream about, as Christians, we need to dream too. Our dream should be of a beautiful kingdom. Our dream should be in the peace that God gives. Our dream should be in the time when all people can understand and walk with God. Our dream should be when everybody accepts the true Jesus Christ and not a false one that's been put off on the world that makes them feel good if they're Christians. Are you a dreamer? What did you want to do? I'll read to I missed the one on forgiving, loving. Listen to this one from children's letters to God. Dear God, I know it says, turn the other cheek. But what if your sister hit you, hit you on the eye? <laughs> <laughs> Love Teresa. And here's the one on dreamers. Dear God. I want to be an inventor, but I don't know what to invent. <laughs> oh, so again, we want to be dreamers. We want to think of the future. First Corinthians 13 11 talks about, we should believe all things and hope all things. And verse 11 of first Corinthians 13, verse seven says so that verse 11 tells us when I was a child, This is dreaming. I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. What do children do? They think. They think future. I would like to have this. I'm going to get a shiny new bicycle. They dream. Okay. We also need to keep alive the wonderful vision of the kingdom of God in our hearts and minds. Colossians 3, 13. He says, forgiving one another in Quran love. Okay, that's that one. Dreaming. Hebrews 11 13. I'm not going to do it. Talks about the the heroes of faith. What did they do? They saw the kingdom afar off. And they embraced a dream. Though they never saw it. They will be there. Because they dreamed. You too should dream. Number six. Enthusiasm, enthusiastic and playful children. And by the way, it's not wrong for you to play. You should have some fun. You should have some relaxation. You should have some refreshment in your life. Don't be all work. Don't be so busy from the morning till dusk from pillar to post. Don't be so diligent in your own self that you don't give yourself some relaxation. Even in some of my busiest times, we would come home at night, late at night, late at night, I mean late, late enough to watch basketball in California time because I had the direct TV so I could pull it in and sit and relax for a little while and watch a game before I, I had to download, I'd been busy all day, all day, all day, I had to unwind. It's important for you to know. And to be able to do that, children know how to play. You know, it's not wrong to play. We all say, Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows. We should be sorrowful all the time. We should be sad. We should be miserable. You know what the Bible says? Hebrews 1, nine. Hebrews 1, nine. Let me read it to you. You have loved righteousness, speaking of the Son of God and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with what? The oil of misery. (laughs) The oil of gladness. Hebrews 1, 9. More than your companions. So we don't know that jesus came with his disciples and saying this he did tell them one time come aside with me come aside with me and relax and rest i don't know if they played volleyball or did fishing at that moment of course the disciples did go fishing and jesus knew how to catch them didn't he he knew exactly where they were It would have been no fun playing with Jesus because he didn't <laughs> want to do it so well. But the point being, I believe Jesus had some fun with the disciples. They don't tell us about that. They did sing a song after the hymn. They all went out and they sang and hymn together. And when they gathered together at Geth 70 beforehand, yeah, before he made this prayer call, did they have any fun together? Did they ever have fun together? Probably in the oil of gladness. He went and say, he was a man of sorrows. You should be miserable all the time. <laughs> Some of the early years in our ministry, there were men who thought "If they ate more than one meal a day, they were really not doing their thing. Was, you know, how about you get drained? If you don't have some, some refreshment, some refreshment, a lot. If they, they got a good night's sleep every night, there's something wrong with you. You know what? When I give God myself, I'm going to give him a sharp pencil, not a dull one. If I'm missing sleep regularly, I'll miss it. If anybody needs me, I'll miss it. I've done that plenty of times, emergency arises. That's not the usual. If you're an instrument of God, give him a sharp, ready instrument. Not a dull one. So again, playfulness and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. You had Josiah in 2nd Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, 2nd Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, when Josiah was eight years old, he was eight years old when he became king. Some of the 18, eight year olds we have back there, how would they like to be king over the whole country? Eight years old. What did he do? He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah Adaiah, of Bozoth. His mother's name talks about Jedidah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Eight years old. I'm sure he had advisors. I'm sure he said, teach me, show me how. Josiah was a great king, one of the most memorable ones in Jewish history. He walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That's enthusiasm. Does God say about us? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. If you don't know how to do it with your might, ask a question. I have seen song leaders get you up, know, they have no idea what they're doing, I'll <laughs> here. Thank you, Mr. Gambley, and Mr. Dickon. Some of the guys don't, some of the guys lead 3-4 the whole time, do a 4-4 song, <laughs> they have no clue. Did they ever ask, when they were asked to do song leading, I'm sorry, how do I do this? Is there something I can learn, someplace I can learn? Do I practice it the night before? Is this just, you throw a dog a bone? I don't want this guy to feel left out. What can we do? Oh, you don't want him to give sermonettes. He's not a real good speaker. What's throw him a sermon? The song leader is the MC for the entire services. He's the first person officially that anybody sees when they come to church. Should he just be so let's just throw him some casual responses he not lead? If he doesn't, does he learn? If you're given a job to do and you don't feel like you can do it, you should say, hey, how do I do this? Or I need to learn. It really is important for you and for the sake of the church. So again, enthusiasm, and that's awesome to be enthusiastic because God loves that. Ecclesiastes 9, 10, do whatever you do, do it with your might. Every bit of fiber. to you pray with all your might, play with all your might too. Play hard, work hard, serve hard, be enthusiastic about whatever you do. Some of us are older. I can't jump around the way I used to. I used every, where I went, I went fast. I did not go slowly. I did not run over people, but I moved rapidly. I see people going through walls, walking so fast. I used to do that. <laughs> I don't anymore. I might like to. In my mind, I'd like to, I don't. Number seven. Let me read number six from Children's Letters to God Enthusiasm. Dear God. I made twenty-five cents selling lemonade. I will give you some of it on Sunday. So <laughs> boy's gonna give some of this twenty-five cents. That's like a huge offer, right? But anyway, he's enthusiastic about it. I made twenty-five cents selling lemonade. I will give you some of it on Sunday, Chris. Last point, number seven, is believing. Believe it. Believe it. Infants and children can believe, David believed, David believed. In verse 33, the word, and I'll read it in a moment, the Hebrew word is Nahar. And it means an infant to an adolescent. So David was telling the story, so I had these sheep out in the field and I was supposed to watch them and be careful with them, care for them, and there came a bear. I grabbed that bear and I chased it off. There came a lion, and I grabbed that and I beat that guy, that went off. I'm not afraid of this giant. I'll get on and fight him because he's defying the armies of the living God. And the God who delivered me from the bear and from the lion. I've seen lions and bears, but they didn't do on some of them videos or reels that I see all tv they're pretty ferocious animals. The lion is not king, called king of the jungle for no reason. And bear run pretty fast for those little creatures, or probably big creatures. So again, believing, he said, I I can do this, send me out, I'll do it. Words of David, he spoke when he heard these things. Verse 31, verse 33. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this. If I am, you are a youth. See, David wasn't even old enough to be in the army, right? He wasn't even 16. He wasn't even old enough. He said, I'll go fight him. He was bringing stuff, supplies to his brothers who were in the army. Saw this guy taunting everybody. What's this guy doing running up and down? It said the Lord delivered me, that delivered me from the paw of the lion. And the, Paul. This is verse 36. He will deliver me from the hand of this felicity. Children have a simple belief if you teach them and it comes from somebody who's authentic, such as their parents or others, they will listen to you and learn. I'll read this final one from being teachable I believe it it's the last one on I'm leaving dear God how do you feel about people who don't believe in you somebody else wants to know a friend <laughs> as children's letters to God Children can be beautiful, and children think, and children have a lot of traits, examples that we could follow. And uh, uh, again, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18, verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and we were drowned in the depths of the sea. One of these little ones who believe in me. That word little one is the Greek word mikron, and it means little ones. Children can believe. Sometimes children have great belief.
1: My daughter Jan, she
0: gets so bad at night. Dad, can you annoy me? I don't think I can go to school tomorrow morning. I annoy her next day. She was up and around, ready to go. She did have a fever, but left. Some people, some kids, God looks after them, takes care of them. They have, a, they have an open, fresh belief, and simplistic enough. Now I'd like you to listen to a song as I wrap up this song. I'm sorry, I'm taking you 10 minutes, 20 minutes overtime. Please forgive me. I try not to do this again but play a song by mike hale one of the young ambassadors called like little children listen to it feast or whatever, when I gave a sermon similar to this one, and he also granted me permission to use this. It's a young ambassador once it was available anyway, but I did in the courtesy since he was the main vocalist, with back up from the young ambassadors that does express pretty much my sermon. So I could have played at the beginning, then not given the sermon, that's what I should have done. All right. <laughs> in conclusion, you remember Saul? Israel looked for a first king. What did they look for? Somebody who was tall, strong, impressive? And what did Saul say when they went to choose him? He said, Me, I'm from the littlest tribe. Why would you ever pick me? They said, You're the one that God wants to represent all of Israel. You're the king of Israel, Saul. First came. What happened to Saul? He forgot to be a child. And he treaded into the the priest's role, offering sacrifices, not listening to God, not following Him. So, verse Samuel 15 17, when Samuel, who loved him and had to, ord- had to ordain him, and had to try to keep him. Out of the picture, you know, from the standpoint of being king, came in First Samuel fifteen seventeen. My final scripture. Samuel said, "When you were little in your own eyes, were you not made head of the tribes of Israel? And did not anoint, not the Lord anoint you king over Israel?" Brethren, if we can learn from the children. We can learn to be little in our own eyes. God will make us not only king over Israel, but to help him as kings and priests in the wonderful world tomorrow.